Hello and welcome to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. My name is Charlotte, I'm Patient Advocacy Manager here at Leukemia Care. This month, I chatted to chronic myeloid leukemia patient Anthony. Christmas has always had a special place in Anthony's heart, as a time for him to spend with his family. But one Christmas, Anthony was worried it might be his last, and so he put off seeking help until the new year. We chatted about those events, and how CML has impacted on his life since that festive season in 2016. Thanks for joining us, Anthony. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. It's lovely to have you. Some of you may recognise Anthony from our Spot Leukemia campaign this year, but we're going to uh, hopefully dive a little bit more into the, to the rest of Anthony's story today. But before we do, would you mind, in case anybody hasn't seen you on our Spot Leukemia campaign, just explaining how you came to be diagnosed with CML? Yeah, I mean, so it was uh, essentially um, probably a, a quite a familiar story in that I, I had lots of... Uh, things going wrong one after the other and I wasn't quite sure you know where they were coming from so it all started with losing weight rapidly which I thought was was great at the time but uh, I wasn't feeling the the benefits of it then I was getting uh, bruising so I could just you know touch something lightly and I'd get a huge bruise really bright purple vivid colors I'd start to feel tired. Now, everybody talks about night sweats. I never got night sweats. It was during the day I, I, I got the sweats. And it, it coincided with one of our hot summers, so I didn't think anything of it. So there's lot, all these little things, you know, pain. And then the thing that threw it over the edge was coming up to Christmas in 2016, I uh, felt this real rigid stomach. And again, which initially I thought was great because, you know, I've been doing all this exercise down the gym until when I was lying down, uh, I could feel that it was rigid on one side and not the other. Uh, And so that's when, you know, as I've said before, I went to my good friend, the internet, which he never tells me anything wrong ever. And uh, essentially convinced me that uh, I had stomach cancer and um, wasn't much time left sort of thing. So uh, for me, it was Christmas was coming up and I thought, so right, I'm not going to have my kids being associating Christmas with dad going into hospital. So I decided to wait until January before I went to the doctors. So really common sense and, uh, you know, not something I'd teach to anybody. So yeah, so, so that's what happened. We had, uh, I tried to make it the, the best Christmas ever. And come January, I went to the doctors and uh, was admitted straight to hospital. So that's, that's it, really, in a nutshell. Did you know much about leukaemia before you? Nothing. If anybody asked me a question, I would have said childhood yeah. cancer. Yeah, I don't think that, that was, was it. uncommon. No, and definitely wasn't aware that it, you could have chronic types. Nope. No. No. That doesn't surprise me. What struck me when I was reading through the story you shared with us in Spot Leukemia is you went through quite a lot of common diagnoses before you ended up with CML. So there, I, there was a mention of vitamin deficiencies. There was a mention of infections. Do you think that neither you nor the healthcare professional sort of put two and two together on the non-specific symptoms, if you like, so everything except that stomach pain? So let's be let's be fair. So it was a bit of half and half. So before I even went to a doctor's a lot of my misinterpretation was just again talking to my friend the internet then when uh, i did go to the doctors for related things yes they i mean specifically i, I can only highlight one particular occasion where i i i'd gone in 
I had the, a urine infection and I'd already had another urine infection the previous, I think it's 10, 12 months. And I also pointed out that I had this huge bruise down my arm. With hindsight now, I would have put two and two together then, or at least asked some pertinent questions, you know. But that's the only thing that I I recognize of, oh, perhaps someone should have put two and two together. I think it is that that's the crux of the Spot Leukemia campaign that you got involved with. And is that why you feel that the campaign is important and why you got involved? Because you... Uh, yeah. to put two and two together. Yeah, because once I started talking, once well, well, once I started learning about it, you learn so much. And then, of course, you're so forgiving to people when you tell them what you have that they've got no idea. So it's just not something that is commonly known. So to getting involved with the, the campaign, I, I just jumped at the, the chance because I thought it was a, a very worthwhile thing to do. I think... Part of the problem also is that we most of the symptoms, putting aside the swelling in the stomach, which is quite classic for CML, it's quite easy to spot in some ways. But I think part of the problem is the non-specific symptoms. We're talking fatigue, we're talking infections, we're yeah. talking night sweats. And do you feel like in society we don't take those sorts of things health-wise seriously as if we found a random lump on our, on our neck? Exactly. I mean, essentially, for for all those, um, so for the for the fatigue uh, and the sweats, all that sort of thing, you've got to bear in mind. I was do, I was full on doing a job, so I could put all of those down to stress. You know, although I'm not a, uh, potentially a person who uh, physically uh, thinks of of stress in that way, I I do recognise that it, it can it, it can come up in terms of your body in various symptomatic forms. So I could have put all that down to, to stress. So, yeah, it, it's, it, and, and again, you, you could come out with any combination of symptoms and come out with a totally different disease or ailment. So it, it's, it's difficult, but, you know, at least, you know, this, with that sort of campaign, you could sort of say, okay, if, if you have got three or four of these things, it's worth checking out. You know, don't worry about looking stupid. Yeah. You know, just check it out. That, that's the problem. We don't we don't associate these things with anything bad, let alone leukemia. It's not even important yeah. that you associate with leukemia. It's like, this is actually something serious. Well, in, in my case, it was it was if you like, it was the total opposite. I convinced myself that I was going to die. Well, the actual truth was, if I could have died, if I if I'd have because the night. The night before, sorry, the night I, I went to the doctors, so the, the, on the day I'd submitted a, a um, blood sample and then I came home and, I, and it, we knew that something was going to happen because the doctor has actually said, oh, this, this is going to be something serious. So I, I was still thinking it was, it was stomach cancer. So in that evening, I just said, oh, I, I can't sit around here. I'm going to go and have a game of squash. So I've got... a. Uh, a really enlarged spleen and I'm running around playing squash. If I'd have hit the wall or somebody had hit me with a, a, a racket, that could have burst and I'd have died from that. So it, it's one of those things. If I'd have gone in a lot earlier, it would be recognized that it was leukemia and I'd have had less chance of having any 
problems. So I was lucky, very lucky in the way things transpired. Just coming back to how this all happened around Christmas time. So you you say you made that Christmas strictly special because you thought it was more serious than it turned out mm. to be in terms of the immediate life-threatening situation. Yeah. But how is it changed how you approach Christmas going forward? Do, do you mm. make it more of a special time now? No, uh, it, it was always, always a thing for me. So uh, my my immediate concern was making sure that if I did, die that christmas wasn't tarnished by it yeah for my children that was that that was the uppermost thing so as for me valuing things i i've always valued my time my family things like that always so that's probably why it was so important to me no that makes sense absolutely and i wanted to ask about your family so obviously your children, I assume, were fairly young adults or teenagers, young adults at, at the time of diagnosis of 2016, off the top of my head. So what was the impact upon them as people who could understand rather than younger children who perhaps don't pick up these things as easily? So they, they were both at university and I think on the Unfortunately, I mean, we were going to keep it quiet until we'd had the full diagnosis. But unfortunately, my eldest daughter, Rebecca, surprised us by coming home. And she came through the kitchen door at the exact time that we'd got the phone call from the hospital to come in straight away. So we were, we were both in each other's arms crying. So we couldn't exactly hide it. So, um, and obviously she was shocked disturbed, crying, and then immediately she switched to everything's going to be okay, that type of thing. So both, well, in fact, everybody immediately around me to, on the surface of it suddenly turned to be very strong for me. So uh, I, I'm a, a sort of a very strong person, and but I don't, what's the word I'm looking for? I can be beaten. I can be knocked down, so I'll, I will have my wobble, fall down. But after I've sort of had a couple of seconds to think about it, I can get back up again. So in that immediate point at which the scary bit happened, they did exactly what I needed them to do, which was to be strong, because I couldn't be strong for everybody at that point in time. Absolutely. Do you feel they got some support to enable them to help you through that? Is that something that perhaps was missing? Do you know what? I don't know is the honest answer there because it, it was a very much a whirlwind time. So those, it, it, it only took me, I would say, I would say, uh, well, as soon as I got the diagnosis after that, I was fine. Um, mentally, positivity, I was fine. So that I could then pass that back on to them. So, uh, you know, I was just what I hope was my normal jokey self and saying, look, you know, this is, in fact, I was pretty much ecstatic at one point because I was going to die to, oh, what are you going to do when you leave the hospital? It was a bit of a different standpoint. So uh, I was pretty quickly uh, in a positive mood and I could spread that about a bit. Oh, that, that's good to know. And 
I think I've heard two different perspectives on CML. One is yours, where once you realise it's not immediately life-threatening, somebody feels much better. And I think, or you go the other way and you worry mm. about living with an incurable disease. It's it's interesting yeah. how people yeah. see that as two different things. And none of it is wrong. None of it is wrong. Are you lucky enough to have people around you to, to help you? Uh, are you lucky enough to have a, a mindset to, to sort of cope with it. You know, I, I I have been so fortunate to be able to talk to so many people in similar or worse conditions. And no, there's, 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 there's no instructional advice you can give give them. All, all, you, all you can do is say what you did and their journey will be different. Uh, uh, you know, so the, the incurable nature of CML is not something that ever really plays no. in your mind? No, not at all. And again, I'm sure this is that everybody, every patient goes through this, is that when you start your, your I mean, I started uh, two weeks of the, the, the broad spectrum chemo and you immediately think you're going to be all records. I'm going to recover from this straight away, whatever they're, equivalent of remission is i'm going to get there straight away i ordered the t-shirt in remission ready to surprise everybody in two weeks you know it's going to be great so when after three months you have your regular meeting and all your your numbers are still going down but they're you know they're plateauing and you think okay then you start to realize this is this is for the long haul but again, I, I'm sure it's different, but I get the feeling talking to a lot of people, that's exactly how a lot of people felt. It's good that you managed to get yourself into that place quickly, because I think you can mm. linger on the the incurable nature of it for, for too long. It, it can't be a healthy state of mind to be in for indefinite period. No. No, absolutely. So you mentioned that you had chemo to start with, which I think is fairly common, but obviously the mainstay of CML treatment is tyrosine kinase inhibitors. I believe you started on imatinib to start with, but it didn't yeah. quite run smoothly for you. you it was good initially, and it, it, it was a great sort of um, uh, reduction in my numbers. And then over time, it started to plateau, and uh, it got to the point where, you know, th- it was bobbling along, and uh, the doctors weren't too concerned about this, it, although it wasn't any close to molecular remission, they were happy with its stability. Then at some point, and I can't, you have to forgive me, I can't remember when, so it's probably over a, a, a year ago, it started to rise. So it was no longer keeping things stable. And at the time, I think I was doing some searching on the internet with regard to various remedies, cures, all that sort of thing. And I came across a paper on a new drug that was being trialed. And funnily enough, the next day I, I had a, a, a normal hospital appointment and they started to discuss uh, whether to switch me onto a, a, another medication. And um, the doctor in question said, oh, um, we, we do have a, a, a trial going on at the moment if you, if you would like to l- learn about it. And when I found out it was the same one, I said, yep, I'll go for it. So. Uh, and that's how it, it I mean, I, I think I probably was the, the quickest person to sign up in terms of you know, not asking too many questions because I'd done a bit, a fair bit of reading beforehand and it was fairly positive. So, so yeah, so that's how it happened. And I, I 
it was pretty full on. I think in the first, oh gosh, probably a couple of months, I was at the hospital very regularly and they were taking about six pints of blood out of me every time for all the sort of testing. But yeah, I'm certainly glad I I did it because within, I think, three or four weeks, the uh, figures plummeted. So, yeah. That's great. So you say you were doing a lot of reading beforehand. What specific questions, I guess, were you looking to answer in terms of, is this for me? Yeah, it was was essentially um, because I got to the point where I've learned to live with all the side effects, but I was still out in the back of my mind. I, I, I was still aiming for the for the remission side of things. So I thought, what? What? I was just looking for. You know, are there any other courses out there that are open to me, or uh, is there anything out there that you know improving the way that you react to perhaps the drugs you're taking? Or so it's very quite a global sort of search I was doing. But it was really more to just inform myself than anything else. It wasn't any sort of desperation or anything like that. It was, it was more like, you know, getting more information than anything else. I think when people ask me about clinical trials, whether they're sort of at the end of all the rest of their treatment options or not, it's important to think about pros and cons. And you say it was full on and in terms of trips to hospital and things like that. Is that something you realised that, was a negative before you went into it? No, no, no. And it wasn't until I saw the plan, I actually wondered whether my company would be okay with it, to be honest, because it was uh, at least one to two full days a a week initially, then every couple of weeks, then every month and so. But yeah, they were brilliant, brilliant with it. So that, that, that was my concern also. And the other thing was that, and I was quite forthright with the doctor. I, it, they said that this was a study where they had, I think it was three different paths, two of which were with imatinib uh, and it's asiminib, and the other one was without, i.e. just on imatinib. And I said, well, I'm not going to go for that, am I? And, he, and they said, well, it's a random choice as well. I'll be frank with you. If, if I get on that, I'll pull out of the um, the trial because it's no use to me to be on the same thing I'm on. This is the reason I'm going for it. So, and whether by design or luckily or whatever, I I got on one of the um, the paths that involved the new drug. Did you understand much about how clinical trials work? I don't know what your background no. is. Is that something that was it difficult to get your head around the randomization thing? It sounds as if it was a shock in some ways to you. No, it was, it, it, it was a shock based on logic. So my logic was, if my drug is failing, why would I be on a trial for the same drug? That, that was it. That, you know, I totally understand uh, randomness and placebos and things like that. But you know, if, if the doctor said, we're going to change your drugs because you're uh, your drug is failing and then said, well, one of the options is we keep you on the same drug. Didn't make sense. So um, that, w- that was my only thing there. So I was totally happy with the randomization of, of it. And your knowledge of the, the placebo and why it's randomized scientifically, did that come from your reading on this particular drug or no, something you just knew? No, no. so, you know, I've, I've sort of uh, had, a, a, you know, lots of experience with that uh, over the past and, and that, 
you know, placebo is a, is a huge thing. So, uh, I think, you know, on some of the uh, sort of trials, you can have the, the placebo effect just be just as effective as the actual drug itself. So yeah, it, that didn't sort of, uh, surprise me at all. Many people will be lonely with leukemia this Christmas. We at Leukemia Care want to be there for each and every person feeling isolated, whether that be following a new diagnosis, having treatment, coping with active monitoring, or shielding from COVID-19. Help us be there throughout the year by donating this Christmas. It's easiest by text. To donate £5, text Christmas Gift. that's X-M-A-S-G-I-F-T, all one word, Christmas Gift, to 70560. Text will cost your donation amount plus one standard network rate message, and you'll be opting in to hearing more from us. If you'd like to donate but don't wish to hear more from us, please text Christmas Gift No Info, all one word, instead. You can also donate online by visiting leukemiacare.org.uk or call our team on 01905 755 977. Thank you. And I guess that leads me on to thinking about some of the very technical stuff that comes with a CML diagnosis. And there's PCR testing, and then there's the various levels of response, MMR. It comes with a lot of jargon, I guess is probably the best word I can think of. How is that something you were comfortable with? I guess uh, people have different minds. Like I'm from a scientific background, for example, so probably would have picked it up myself fairly easily. I mean, how was it for you? Well, I, I'm a physicist and I just thought there's too many numbers there. <laughs> I said, just give me one number I can aim at. That's all I need. Uh, and then when uh, I looked, I, I read closer about the, the number that I was given and looking at and that, oh yeah, smaller is better. That's good. I can handle that. And then when you read into it, actually that number is different for different people and the scale it's on is different for different. Oh, forget it. You know, you tell me if I'm getting better or not and I'll leave it at that. So yes, all the numbers I was getting was just, you know, the, the, it, it's too much for anybody. All, all you need is one thing to focus on. And that gives you an indication of, of where you're going. And it's, especially the closer you are from diagnosis, the more you, you need things simple. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are. There's too many things going on. You need something simple. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've, we were talked about the, the mindset of post-diagnosis and how stressful that first bit can be. I would agree. Yeah. It all comes with time. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about your work life and um, just because you mentioned it in passing, would you say overall it's been fairly easy to manage side effects and and work life? So the, well, I, I can't remember whether I said this in a previous interview or not, but I'll say it again because it's really important. My company was brilliant, but I still had a mindset, especially when I was having the initial time off, I was, I think I was signed off for, I don't know, probably six months. I think it was something like that. Um, I wanted to get back to work after a month, not because I love my work, but because I thought I'd lose my job, which was stupid when I look back at it, but that was my mindset. And I had to get a, 
a letter from the doctors to say I could go back, and then the, the company had to have proof that they could take me back without any adverse sort of conditions. Uh, and so I think I went back after possibly two months. But I went back too soon. I just started sweating and fatigue and all that. It, it was, I should have taken a lot longer before coming back. Uh, and and if, it, if this, any advice I can give to people is just don't rush it back because your, your body's been through and is going through, you know, quite an, an amazing sort of transition. You know, you, you've got to give it time. So after that, again, my company was very good. I actually initially started working from home one day a week, and then I asked to go to two days a week, and they were great with that. And then over the COVID period, I've gone on my contract now for three days a week at home. So it really helps having a, an employer's understanding and having a job that you can do from home. So I've been, again, very lucky. Good to know. I think some of it comes down to having conversations about your like understanding what your rights are and and having those conversations. I think uh, a lot of people come to us in the advocacy team and haven't actually are worried about what their employer would say without having that first conversation about how they would react. And I think that's an interesting position to be in. Yeah. Um, Would I mean? Would you advise that you just have an open and honest conversation with the employer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because. Actually, I, I wish I'd have raised my concerns because they were totally unfounded. And then they would have told me that. Yeah. You know, if anything, they were more, con- they were more uh, concerned about me coming to work. I, 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 and again, perhaps it's um, lack of education from their point of view. They were scared as, as, as if they had to have special equipment and things, and things like that. I don't know. But they, they really had to be convinced for me to come back to work. Yeah. You would never have worried so much, I think, probably if you'd uh, had that conversation initially. I think it's a good message. Yeah, I, I would have I would have certainly taken more time off before coming back. In terms of support for you since diagnosis, I guess with understanding the CML and then emotionally dealing with it, have you felt that like you needed any support, um, not just from leukemia care, but from any sort of charitable sources at all? Uh, again, no. I mean, I've been very lucky. So, I mean, yes, half of it's my mindset, but half of it is having friends and family around me. So, I've I've been very fortunate in that respect that I've I've not felt uh, what's the word uh, isolated, alone. And and I've and I've spoken to quite a lot of people who've been in that position, and it's those are the people you encourage to sort of make use of all the the services that are available to you. Uh, and, and and at the hospital, they asked me, you know, here's the details of the local clinic. Uh, here's some advice. And, and, and at the time I said, yeah, I'm fine. You know, uh, I don't need, I've got my own network. I was fine. So, but I think at that point it's great. They ask all that sort of thing. But I also think uh, for people who then, carry on throughout the process i think there's various stages where you need different types of support as well absolutely i think that's part of the challenge for us is although the hospital teams are great they they're limited on time often and it's a case of repeatedly checking on on some people i absolutely agree it's not just at diagnosis where things can be challenging 
especially, um, I guess, uh, I wonder whether it was a particularly challenging time for you when you were trying to change treatments or was it was it just quite easy in terms of you were researched and well prepared? <laughs> no, again, it was another, it wasn't as bad as the, um, you know, I've got stomach cancer bit, but it was a, a thing, mm, this is not working anymore. Yeah. It was definitely uncertain. Uh, but then I sort of, right, I saw this, start, I'm going to go for this, you know, but I can easily imagine that, you know, uh, someone sat there on their own with nothing of that ilk in terms of information around thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen? I'm curious as well as to what drives you, if you like, to share your experiences. So you've done podcast, a video and um, spoken to MPs for us in the last few months and you've written a book on your experiences. So what is it that makes you want to share what you've been through? Well, it, it, it was it was along the lines of those first sort of few months after diagnosis. And again, because of the way I am uh, and the relationship I have with my, my wife, we were having fun. And it, again, it sounds awful to say, you know, when people are really, really struggling at that time. But there were so many funny things happening that um, I started to write them down. And I thought, I can't forget this one. Oh, this is hilarious. You know, just purely to, to, to you know, tell, tell my friends that it was as simple as that. And after a while, I'd start talking to people who were uh, not even with um, leukemia, but with cancer. Because as soon as you tell somebody, or they ask how you are and you tell them what you've got, they tell you their story. It's either them or a relation. And then those stories can be a plea for help and you start to say well you know uh, this is what i did i, I never offered uh, advice on how to behave what to do how to act but just found this is what i did you know and that positive and i found that that positive attitude appeared to help and then i think i think we said my wife just said oh you've got to do something with this you've got to write this down and that's when the, the, the book started. So, and again, I'm not a, as I said, I'm a physicist. I'm not a, a, a sort of a, a, an English grad. And so I started to write this and I thought, oh, yeah, this is difficult. And then I'd sort of little, had a little think about it. And I thought, well, I'll just write how I speak. And then it just flowed. And so we, you know, within, I don't know, four or five months, I'd written the book and then, um, it went to, to get, get it published. So, and then after it being published, I started to get communication from people all around the world. And I mean, the, the last one I had was somebody from Florida and said, you know, I, she said this time last week, I was sat in my bedroom on my own, feeling isolated. And I didn't know what to do. Having read your book, it's totally different. I feel there's hope. I feel there's somewhere to go. And even now it's making me emotional. It was just beautiful. So I've had lots of things like that. So if there's anything that makes it worth it, that's it. Absolutely. I think people underestimate the power of simply exchanging stories mm -hmm. or, or, you know, experiences. And I see the podcast as a service 
of leukemia care and for that reason it it is helpful just to hear from someone who has gone through the same thing as you regardless of whether we're talking about leukemia or any other illness and oh without without a doubt i mean i mean i've piggybacked on quite a few of your uh, uh webinars and and if anything to hear what other people are saying and thinking and and you can see from some of the comments that you know I would say almost a relief from some people that I'm not alone, you know? And the first thing you realize, and it's not just leukemia, it's any form of cancer, you're definitely not alone. You, you can, you know, in a, in a crowd, you know, I would be surprised if everybody isn't touched by it in some way. Yeah. The webinars are challenging because you set a topic and you have to try and think in advance what people are interested in, but you're right, the comments are so useful that, that mm. I can I can completely change what I plan to talk about in those things based on what people actually want to know. And most of the questions are, am I normal? Is this normal? And they want to know from the doctors, am I normal? And that helps everybody. Just that I idea. mean, and the only downside is that how do you get it to uh, all the people? You know, it, it's I, I've got first-hand experience of that. You've got something that is priceless. How do you get it to as many people as possible? That, you know, what you do is a great service. So, but in the best will in the world, you can't get it to all these people. I mean, however we can publicize that. I mean, you asked me, why do I get involved in it? That's part of it as well. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And thank you also for all the money you raised from donating some of the profits of your book. I think it was about £500, which is just yeah. fantastic. Not that, not that much, but yeah, no, I was just it's good. pleased to do it. Every little helps. I, I, was, I was on the verge of being totally embarrassed when, you know, I don't want to canned up with £10, you know. <laughs> so, so, so I was really pleased when it started to, uh, to, to rise. Thank you for, for doing that. That was really lovely of you to, to think of us in that way. The last thing I wanted to do to end on a, a little bit of a Christmassy thing is you said you liked, so you were a big fan of Christmas sort of pre-diagnosis and then you try to make that Christmas really important. Is there a particular aspect of Christmas? That, what what are your plans? What do you, oh, How do you it, make Christmas special? <laughs> it's uh, I mean, it, as soon as our children, I mean, Emma and, and Becky are sort of, well, I say left home, but they keep coming back. But when they were away at university, uh, the first Christmas, uh, I started a new tradition, which was I'd send them a little Christmas tree with lights on. So every Christmas, I would send them a little Christmas tree. So they have, they have about six or seven now <laughs> so, with varying degrees of repair. So it's that sparkly, warm feel. I, I love the whole aspect. There's a whole run up to it because um, we start at Halloween in terms of we have a Halloween party. We uh, get all my friends round. We have it out in the freezing cold. And uh, from then on, it's, you know, my birthday just before that. Then we've got my wife's birthday. And then you get into to, to Christmas reel. And the whole period is just fantastic. And, and I just love, I mean, I love cooking. So when it comes to sort of Christmas day, it's, it's again, the tradition is that, you know, I start sort of cooking in the morning. They're not allowed to come into the kitchen. I'll lay the table and again, candles, lights, all that sort of thing. And we just have a lovely day. And it's it's not as it's not as even if we we go anywhere. It's just being together on in the house. We go on some nice walks or do nice things. It's great. I think that's a really nice, lovely Christmassy thought to end. <laughs>
Oh, it is. It's lovely. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time again, Anthony. Great to speak to you. You're very welcome. Very Merry Christmas to all our listeners. Merry Christmas, yes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. For more information and support from Leukemia Care, go to our website, leukemiacare.org.uk, or call our helpline on 080 88 010 444. See you next month.